This is a main hustle media podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Jackie O and you're listening to Militantly Mixed. Yo, this is Rashani from the single simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back. Listening to Militantly Mixed. I would like to acknowledge that the Militantly Mixed podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Chumash and the Tongva people, and I wish to pay my respects to the people of those nations, both past and present. Hi, my name is Ariana Farina. I'm a friend of Charmaine's. I am here to tell you about a new children's book that I wrote called The First Adventures of Nurma and Blueberry. It is the first book in a series called Kitty Tales. The book series follows the stories of two silly kitties and their new human family. It is told from the perspective of the cats themselves and is based upon my own two real life kitties. You can find pictures of my cats on my Instagram page called Kitty Tales The Book Series. I wrote this book for kids looking for something funny and lighthearted to read after school to unwind. It is an illustrated short chapter book, so it is great for kids just learning how to read, or it can also be read to younger children. The first of three tales in the book is a Christmas story, so it is a great bedtime read at this time of year. So, if you are looking for that perfect children's holiday gift or stocking stuffer, then check out The First Adventures of Nurma and Blueberry. You can find it for sale right now on Amazon. And if you like this book, stay tuned. The next book in the Kitty Tales series will be released in a few months. In the meantime, I hope you have a perfect holiday season. Hey y'all, welcome to Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your host, Charmaine, aka Mixed Girl Maine, the busiest mixed race bisexual polyamorous atheist comic book nerd cat mom mask making Gulf Coast Cosmos comic book co-owning podcaster in this podcasting game. This is episode 117, and we are official, officially back from hiatus. I know that I had a different episode planned for last week, but um, it was a pretty rough weekend, so I just didn't deliver on that. But we're back to regular episodes now with actual interviews and and guests, mixed race guests from all over the place. Because this is the first one back, I'm not going to get into all the spiels of things that I normally talk about in the intro. I just want to get into the episode. I'm I'm ready to to start talking to mixed folks again. So. Uh, my guest today is Sarah. She is one of the directors from the Mixed at Berkeley Mixed Race Student Union or Mixed Race Student Organization at UC Berkeley. As you all might remember that in October, I was participating in the Mixed Month at Mixed at Berkeley, and I was able to interview Sage, who was also a director, one of the directors of Mixed at Berkeley. And I'm going to get a chance to get, speak to a few more folks that are involved in the organization Uh, in the next coming months. And I'm really excited. I've talked about this before. I'm so excited about all these mixed race student unions that are popping up at universities and colleges, because knowing that people are already kind of tapping in and and discovering this quickly, you know, these 18, 19, 20 year olds that are are tapping into their mixed race identities so early, 
where I feel like I was doing that on an individual basis, but I didn't have sounding boards. I didn't have an audience to bounce ideas and, you know, experiences off of outside of people I was related to, to feel really snug in my mixed race identity. And that started to happen, you know, in my thirties, late thirties and and early forties. So I'm just excited to see that this is going on. And I want to talk to more people from these organizations because, you know, I tend to be a little pessimistic and not very hopeful, but seeing that these are springing up at colleges and universities all over does give me some sort of hope that there'll be more grounding in mixed race identity at an earlier age going forward than it was in my generations or the generations that precede me. So I'm really excited. Um, that's, that's all I got. That's all I got. I'm going to keep this thing short and we can get into the episode. And then next week we'll be back with another regular episode as well. Cause I already have started to interview folks back from hiatus. Uh, so we'll be good to go with no gaps. Hopefully without further ado, please join me in welcoming our latest cousin to the Militantly Mixed family, Sarah. Today, I'm really excited about this interview because I didn't know I was ever going to get a chance to interview you necessarily. When we first met, we were talking about me participating in an event that was going on in Berkeley. And so now to see that you are, you're ready to get on the show, I'm pretty excited. Why don't you introduce yourself to the audience and let everybody know who you are and where you're from? Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Charmaine. I'm so happy to be here. My name is Sarah Ali. I'm a 20-year-old college student. I attend UC Berkeley. I major in biology, molecular and cellular biology, with a minor in human rights. Um, I've been in mixed spaces for a little while. I'm a director with Mixed at Berkeley, which is a student organization on campus. And I also do some other organizing things around town. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're, you're in the right, you're definitely in the right um, school and city for it. Historical civil rights and, and human rights act. I, it's it's cool that there's a minor in human rights studies, I guess. That's not something that you see at a lot of different schools. I certainly haven't got a chance to see it. Before we get into it, let me ask you the question that everybody asks us. <laughs> what are you? <laughs> what's your what's your ethnic background? Yeah, my mix is uh, Persian and Polish. So my mom um, is from Poland. <laughs> she uh, immigrated to the U.S. when she was really young, 17. Yeah. And then my dad is from Iran and he immigrated to the U.S. much later when he was doing his residency for um, his doctorate, his MD. Yeah. Um, And so how much access to culture do you have for both sides of, of your family? That's a good question. It was really tough when I was growing up because we lived in Indiana, which is not a very big cultural hub. <laughs> I would say that the like um, biggest culture around me other than white was um, South Asian, you know, Indian, mm-hmm. um, like Desi culture. And um, so, yeah, there, I mean, there wasn't a lot. <laughs> right. um, yeah. So, I, you know, I like the cultural bits that my family gave me were good, but I never was able to learn languages. My parents mm-hmm. didn't pass that on to me. Um, there wasn't I mean, there was some cultural cooking, but I was never surrounded by family, like tons of family in the way that my parents were growing up. Right. So, yeah. So how do you how did you feel your mixed self? Like, how did how did you 
understand like what things were influencing you and how you were kind of existing in terms of being a mixed person wandering around with a bunch of non-mixed people? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think I, I didn't know for a long time. Like I was just existing as like a child in the world. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and I only like realized that I guess I was different from my white peers when they, when they told me they were like, <laughs> um, I remember yeah. in kindergarten when my dad picked me up for the first time, my kindergarten teacher was like, is that, is that your dad? And I was like, yeah. And he was, she was like, are you sure? I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> what a rough question to ask a kid when I you know. don't have the context that they're coming from. That's not a great question. I Come know. on, it was, do better yeah. teachers. <laughs> yeah, or like my friends would ask me like, oh, why does your dad have that accent? Or like, why does your mom have that accent? Because they both mm. had, you know, pretty strong accents. So, I yeah. <laughs> so it all started in elementary school. Right. <laughs> I just remember coming home and asking my dad like, dad, everyone says you have an accent, but like, what does that mean? Like, where are you from? <laughs> like, oh, I'm from Iran. And I was like, what is that? <laughs> and he had to like show me on a map. So it really wasn't like a conversation when I was a kid. Right. You know, they kept it all. They were like, yeah, we're here in America. You're American. That's the only thing that matters. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. That's how my Japanese family is too. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. like whenever I say I'm Japanese, my grandma would, would correct me. Like, you're not Japanese. <laughs> It, she would she would even say something to the degree of like I'm barely Japanese because I left like mm-hmm. it's the nationalism in in her culture that is more important than the actual ethnic aspect of it and here in the states we're just a hodgepodge of things that we we feel like we need to be those other things I mean I do I don't know but it is it's interesting how once they come here it is you're American now be American it, so elementary school kindergarten is when it starts to be obvious to you. When did you start to, or what got you from the point of just existing to not only are you kind of identifying as a mixed person, but you are getting involved in mixed things like mixed at Berkeley. Oh yeah. That wasn't until college. (laughs) (laughs) Oh really? So even like all through high school and everything like that, you weren't really able to be a mixed person necessarily? No. I mean, I was conscious of my mixed identity, I suppose, but I didn't have the like a language to describe it. I was like, oh, I'm Persian and Polish, but I had never heard the word mixed or people like say that they were mixed until I, until I went to college. So yeah. That's interesting. So you're not the first person to say this, but it's the first time it really, really stands out to me that people like your generation say things like, I've never, I never heard the word mixed until and dot, 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 whatever that is. Um, and I've been, I've been catching it a little bit more lately, but it's, it's just kind of been one of those things. I'm like, okay, maybe they use something different, but in my generation, I realized like being mixed was a whole thing. Like I was growing up as a a teenager in sort of the early nineties to mid nineties. And that part was like, you were either well, where I was growing up, you were either black or Mexican or you were mixed and mixed meant black and white. And then I had to explain to everybody that I wasn't black and white. I was black and Japanese. (laughs) So that's interesting. So the word just kind of disappears from from like the next generation. You're not even hearing it. When do do you remember when you started to hear people describe themselves as mixed? Yeah, I think I went I um, I had a couple of mixed friends that I knew from high school in San Diego because I moved to California when I was like 12 or something. (laughs) Um, And when we all matriculated to UC Berkeley, um, they were attending some 
mixed at Berkeley events, like the clubs events. And they invited me and I said, oh, okay. (laughs) And so I like entered this mixed space and it was um, really cool to see people who like had the language to describe their identities and were like able to start talking about it with others. Hmm. What did that do for you? Like, did that open something up or was it just a realization that other people were receiving you as mixed when you weren't quite yet identifying that way? Um, I think it was a really cool experience because I got to meet other people with so many different perspectives on Mm. life and on their families. And it was really cool because it um, allowed me to be a little bit more introspective and think about like how being mixed had affected my life because previously, you know, there weren't conversations about it. So I just like was, I don't know, living (laughs) and assuming that everyone sort of like felt the same way that I did. Um, Yeah. How are you received when you're around essentially monoracial people, are you viewed as either Persian or maybe white identified or how, how do you find people receive you most often? Oh yeah. Interesting question. I think if I'm, if I'm around white people, (laughs) I'm like perceived as white because I'm pretty white passing. Mm -hmm. Um, but if I'm around like Persian people, then they can generally pick up that I'm, that I'm also Persian, that I'm also Iranian. Um, yeah. So Yeah. And then I'm never really around Polish people, so I don't really know. (laughs) Right. Like specifically, I think more on the East Coast is where there are pockets of people that have been able to maintain like a identity. Like it seems like the West is where people have just become white and there's no version of white that is like this is where our Italians are. This is where our Irish are. Like that's not really a thing here on the West Coast, but it's still there's still areas on the East Coast that have managed to maintain. And, and, and in the Midwest, I think a little bit too. That oh, that's interesting. To yeah. As far as I know, there's a lot of um, like Iranian cultural like groups in, in Southern California specifically because right. the, because the, you know, the climate is the same. <laughs> uh, like yeah. people are comfortable here. So, but my, my parents never like chose to engage in like culture or like tried to retain cultural identity for right. themselves or their children. Right. They were kind of like, no, we like, we like went away from that. We ran away from that. <laughs> right. We're good here. Yeah. That's certainly another part of like the, the immigrant story here in the U S is I didn't leave my country to stay what yeah. I was. And I don't want my children to be that, that, that uh, I definitely see that on my Japanese side. Um, and I hear it from friends too. Yeah, I think in Southern California, even white people could identify Iranians better than any other um, folks that are from, you know, Middle East or Asian continent. Like they, that's a culture that is maintained out here, but you won't see like, you might see a Polish cultural day somewhere, <laughs> yeah. you know, but you're not going to see like a neighborhood necessarily that has managed to to no, yeah. Yeah. My I've I have a couple of Polish cousins and they live in Michigan and there's a pretty strong Polish community around there. They have like a Polish neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's it's that interesting cool. that I didn't start to pick that up until doing the show when the more people that had whiteness from other places that where like that where they were in the US dictated how much access they had to mm-hmm. whatever those cultural things were. Um and here in California you just you don't really you don't really see it. Whereas like I lived in Boston for a period of time and you know who was Italian and you knew who was Irish and like <laughs> they maintained. They they definitely maintained. That's interesting. So as you got um involved in mixed at Berkeley, did that also adjust so did you enter Berkeley solely with the um the did you say microbiology? 
Yeah. Uh, molecular and cell biology. Molecular, okay. Molecular. Um, so did you enter with that mostly in mind and then being at Berkeley is what kind of got you into the human rights stuff or were you already approaching um, Berkeley specifically with that in mind? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. I kind of have my eye on the specific biology major that I'm in. Uh, they have a lot of like specification, like you get to choose like what path you're going to pick, like what sort of like division, like the major is kind of really big. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know what I wanted to, pers to pursue specifically, but I like had my sights set on that. And I'm a pretty um, like driven person. Like when I have my eye on something, I generally go out and get it. Mm -hmm. So yeah. And then the human rights minor sort of came along because I had a lot of um, space in my schedule with um, my my major. Like there were a lot of really hard, there were some like really hard classes, but you couldn't like like you still had room in your schedule to take other things. So yeah, and I really enjoyed my human rights classes. So I was like, oh yeah, this is a good fit. <laughs> okay. And are you finding a way to mold the two, the major and the minor in what will be your future? You yeah, definitely. That's a great question. I think um, what, I'm, what I'm learning through my human rights studies and like approaching the world through that lens is that, you know, medicine and science are so complicit in, in like continuing racism. Right. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And, and like creating racism, like the use of medicine to justify racism. Um, yeah. <laughs> so they're definitely interlinked far more than people think. Right. And I think even with this, the, this COVID-19 situation, a lot of that is becoming more obvious to pockets of people who hadn't had, hadn't seen it before. You know, like in the black community, we know that there are things like, you know, the belief that black people don't feel pain the same way white people do or, you know, women, um, pregnant women losing life at a larger percentage than than white women because of them not believing different symptoms and stuff like that. So, like, there's pockets in brown communities that have understood this to be in existence. But I think COVID-19 has revealed, I, I, I believe it has revealed it's more obvious now to white people that this is actually something that happens in medicine and science. As you got into Mixed at Berkeley, what got you from being a participant to getting to the point of like working your way up into director? Like, what, was there something about that sense of community that, or is it just your personality in general to, to tend to go that way? Um, I think my personality is a big part of it, but I also, um, you know, the way that the organization is structured is that we have like a directors like 10 directors and then we have fellows which like fellows like help out with projects and um learn how to like do things uh admin related mm -hmm. um and then we have like general community members who who like come to events mm -hmm. so i was sort of attending events but i really wanted to like make an event <laughs> i was like ah, i don't, i just want to make something something <laughs> so that would have been had, me too it would have been hard to just participate without trying to be like How yeah do I get up? <laughs> yeah I had a bunch of ideas I wanted to do things so I I applied and they accepted me so here we are <laughs> nice and are you finding ways that creating those events or being involved in the community itself is um, encouraging more introspection and encouraging you to figure out parts of your identity that you may not have realized you were already kind of thinking before? Yeah, definitely. Like totally. I'm not, I'm not a very introspective person by nature. I'm kind okay. of like, go, go, go. And it, it takes like people 
like sitting down and being like, okay, now let's think about ourselves <laughs> for me to be like, oh yeah. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> yeah. So it's been, it's been really great because um, I gain a lot of benefit from attending the events that I create <laughs> mm-hmm. and hearing from other people. It makes me like think about my life more. It makes me think about the world differently. So right. it's, it's really good. It's really strange. And it's not something I expected. Like when I started the show, I really just like wanted to be around and talk to mixed people because I grew up living with some of my cousins and we were always together. So my mixed side of the family or or my super mixed side of the family were together so often that when we were no longer together, that's when I realized I was mixed. Like up until then, I was just around all these people that kind of sort of looked like me and kind of sort of didn't. Um, and I didn't realize that wasn't a part of my mixed identity. That was just me being with my you know, family and we were always together. And then when the way we weren't around anymore and I was just around a sea of monoracial people, I was like, oh, these people are different. You know, like, <laughs> and I'm, you know, trying to own that I'm not the different one in this in this scenario. That, that's been a lesson that I've been trying to learn. But when doing that, I started to crave like that sense of context that I didn't have to explain to people that were, you know, even if they weren't mixed the same as me, these just subtle things that happen to us that we can just exist in and it's fine. Um, And so that's kind of why I started the show. But in doing this and talking to people all over the world that are mixed different ways than me, I started to realize how much they have impacted the way I even identify to a degree or that I adjust my mentality about things that I either maybe had a problematic or uninformed view. And now, you know, it's getting a little bit better. Um, is, and I think probably like, I didn't feel like I had to understand that maybe until I started engaging more. Are you finding that, um, there are things that are like really rocking your, your world in terms of like how other people identify and how they're, they're impacted to impact how you think about your identity? Yeah, I think especially with the recent like rise of the black matter, like black lives matter movement, Mm -hmm. uh, not that it wasn't like active, but the recent like surge (laughs) (laughs) um, has really uh, added a lot of perspective, especially in the programming that I create for the organization. Um, I think I've really been focusing on like lifting up local voices, um, Mm -hmm. like by POC voices, really focusing on like local community members and education for our community. I think that's like a new direction that we're sort of moving the organization in. So I'm really happy about that. That's good. This is kind of a question that I'm trying to develop while I'm talking. <laughs> so let's see what happens. Yeah. Um, uh, so I, uh, for a longest time, my best friend was Armenian, but Syrian, because during the Armenian genocide, their family escaped to Syria and Le- Lebanon. And so they, they grew up speaking Arabic and they grew up with a lot of Arabic culture, despite the fact that they were Armenian. And then I have other friends that are Iranian or or Palestinian. My husband's half Palestinian, things like that. Like, so I'm around various pockets of sort of Middle East and, and South Asian cultures. And and I'm also like a full grown adult when 9-11 happens. So when that happens and it starts to shift American culture into viewing anybody that is even roughly looking Middle Eastern, whether or not they understand what is actually Middle East and what is not, because that is a whole ass thing. Did you find growing up that like if admitting you're Iranian or or even people seeing that that was a part of you, do you find that there are things that you're still dealing with as both a mixed person and a person of that heritage that is happening or, or is it happening even in your in mixed at Berkeley in terms of like, because I think that's also a pocket of non elevated voices, you know, right now too. are you finding that there's work that you can do in that area? 
Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, it's going to take it a while. It was meandering because I was trying to figure out exactly how to get there. Um, but I hopefully we can. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think um, growing up post 9-11 was really um, kind of a trip. I don't know like how different my life would have been if it hadn't happened. Right. Probably a lot different. But um, but yeah, I remember growing up, it was always like a like sort of my background was it was a secret. My parents told me not to talk about it. My dad actually has mm-hmm. these these rules that he like outlined for me when I was growing up. He said, don't talk about your ethnicity. Don't talk about where you're from. Mm. Don't talk about um, like anything relating to that. Like don't answer like what languages your parents speak. Like none of that. Don't mm. talk about your religious views. Don't talk about your like sexuality later when I came out as a lesbian, he added that to the list. Right. <laughs> um, you know, all of these. Um, and when I was like little and I was growing up in middle school. And so I like got offended by them. I was like, dad, but we should be able to like exist how we are right. without people like, I don't know, being rude. <laughs> right. Um, to put it lightly. Um, and he was like, no, these are, these are defensive mechanisms, you know, like right. these are important to like keep you safe. So I think that was really, um, a big part of the impact of 9-11 on my family, like mm-hmm. the like hate crimes that my dad experienced after the in uh, the incident. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. So um, that was um really rough. And um as for like community organizing on campus, um I'm like sort of involved in the we call it the MENA, Middle Eastern North African community. Okay. Um but but not really like half foot in half foot out Mm -hmm. um just because i like don't always feel like super um like welcomed into these spaces just because my yeah i don't know just mixed dilemma (laughs) Uh, i'm sure 100 yeah (laughs) it's super common (laughs) yeah you are not alone in that yeah Um, yeah. so i'm trying to do like uh activism in my own corner but um it's kind of hard for me to um get involved on campus yeah i i understand that a lot because in it's hard to try to claim japanese culture when your literal japanese relative is you know the one telling you you're not japanese you know that kind of stuff is is tough like why do you care about this stuff she wanted to get away from it so bad that it's almost irritating that her grandchild was trying to reclaim it to to a degree i think and um and then of course just me in an asian space doesn't make sense because my face isn't coding any specific Asian is not necessarily right. And, and I do tend to talk about more black related items because I grew up more black. Like I grew up in a black community. I grew up around my, my black and Brown family. Um, And so to, to try to connect to the Japanese-ness while also being not not really having an access point that's even welcoming is is tough. Um, and so I think I focus more on the mixedness itself versus specifically what I would, even though I do try to tap in pretty often. I mean, even my logo is trying to represent all of the things, but I, I find that to be a weird aspect of my mixedness in that I'm trying to claim something that isn't necessarily trying to claim me back. And um, and then just trying to exist like it's still important to me. I don't know why it's important to me. Maybe it's because my face doesn't code anything and I'm constantly having to answer those questions of where I'm from and what am I. So I get that. Like, I understand the work probably feels more fulfilling when you have an access point that is more welcoming and, and participatory than to join something like that. That makes sense to me. And I think it, it probably is super common amongst 
the mixed community in general. Um, I find that I got no problem being accepted among Dominicans if I wanted to just switch (laughs) 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 because I look more like them than I look like my own people, I think. So yeah, I think that's a thing and it's fine. It's part of our journey. Yeah, I'm so glad you relate to that. It's super, I haven't really found a ton of people that relate to the immigrant story of like not wanting to claim where you came from. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was really contentious in my family for a long time that that I was asking so much about my, my family, like my, like where my parents came from, like how they grew up and things. They were kind of like, well, we don't want to talk about this. Like, (laughs) Like we're moving on. And so, yeah, it's only recently, there's actually been like a, a shift in my family because I think because I've gotten more connected with my family in Poland and in Iran and I've been able to like connect that my parents are finally starting to like realize all the things that they've lost by severing Mm. those connections and they're starting to like really grieve those um like yeah. all those years that they've lost and it's that's and a it's real really, thing like, yeah it's so it's really like impactful to watch and really emotional to see them making um connections again and to like think about it again because I think for a long time they didn't let themselves think about it they were like no life is better here like mm-hmm. I left for a reason like let's just not look back but I think the looking back has allowed them to like reflect and, and yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense to me. I think um they're they're because of that same type of idea, like my grandmother wanted to leave so bad, but then and she wouldn't help me like in learning Japanese or anything like that. Like even when I was in college learning Japanese, she I'd be like, Can you help me with this? And she's and she's like just pat me on the head like good job and kind of move on type of thing. You know, not a lot of, lot of there were certain words we always said in Japanese, but there was it was a lot of like don't speak Japanese around white people because then they'll know. You know, that kind of thing. She was she was really bent out of shape about it. Um, but at when I got into my thirties and I started to speak Japanese to her in the terrible accent that I have and everything like that I found she appreciated it in a weird way too of just like oh look it's 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 sweet that you've tried this thing um I still don't know that she understands it as being a part of the way that I need to identify like I need to connect to this and like I have a need for it um so that's interesting that that I think there is something to grieve there I think there is a loss to a degree I I fully understand a uh, leaving it behind when you're coming from situations though that that makes sense to me as well um, but the impact that it has on the next generation is and like here in America we're so our our descendant of immigrant story is so different than any other place I think because you know in my case I'm I'm second generation American on both of my grandmother's sides but because they were the biggest influence in raising me in my young days I think of myself as the child of an immigrant. I forget that my parents aren't because they weren't around as much as, as like my grandmothers were when I was younger. So I feel that we I feel that like recent loss, even though it's literally like 50 years, yes. <laughs> the difference between me and those countries um, is, is, is kind of strange that that is a thing. So in terms of just like how you are existing now, given that not only are you involved you're, you're at a campus that is historically activism oriented. You're involved in the mixed at Berkeley and you're, you know, a creator of events and, and trying to create spaces that make people feel like they can be their full picture of themselves, their mixed ass selves, if you will. Um, <laughs> but uh, that how do you how do you leave Berkeley? What's your next thing that makes you still feel connected to your your own mixed journey? But what work do you do after? 
Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, you don't have to know, but <laughs> <laughs> I haven't, I haven't really um, made a plan yet. I've sort of been thinking about it in the back of my head, but I don't really know yet. <laughs> mm. So just working on my like life goals, I guess, and yeah. <laughs> hoping that things work out. <laughs> well, I'm excited about just like, you know, vicariously, I'm excited about the the idea of you finding ways to rope the human rights, you know, aspect of your education into your biology aspect of your, uh, your um, education, because I think we need more of you doing that kind of stuff. Like we need more people to, to raise their finger and go, wait, you know, like the one Asian lady who happened to be in the, um, I don't know if you've heard this, but the, the people that did the, when you put your hands underneath the sink and it turns on the, they weren't catching, they were only catching white people because white people were the only people that were working on the project. Oh, and then, what? <laughs> yeah. And then an Asian woman, it wasn't reading her, even though she's pale, she was, she had more melanin in her skin. So it wasn't reading her. And she was like, I wonder if this is because I'm Asian. And from that is where we started to get these things that can finally start seeing because they weren't, they're going, they weren't going to pick up black folks or brown folks. And they barely picked up a, a an Asian of an East Asian specifically, which mm-hmm. tend to be fair. Um, so like things like that, you just need that, that person in the room that's going to catch something that a white person wouldn't, or like a heap of white people wouldn't catch because they would have no reason to catch. And so I think the idea of any kind of aspect like that in any part science, technology, you know, legal system, like all of those areas need more people like us in the room because we're going to pick up on things. And we're also, I think, uniquely positioned as mixed folks to be able to identify when it's happening. Whereas like a brown monoracial person might just feel racism, but not really understand it, (laughs) like understand what specifically is going on, where like a mixed person, especially perhaps one that has white as part of their mix would be like, Oh, this is one of those things white people aren't thinking about. Let's do this work. (laughs) If that makes sense. Yeah. I'm excited to see how my, um, or like, at least I, I really hope and would expect that my, all of the additional like reading and learning that I've done outside of my, um, I guess main focus of study biology (laughs) would like help me be more well-rounded and like, uh, I don't know, eyes open (laughs) to the different terrible things that are going on. But are you about to graduate? No, I'm a junior. I'm a junior. So I have I have a year and a half. (laughs) Yeah. 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 But it does kind of terrify me the amount of um, folks who just like go through college, like only focusing on one thing and not really deviating from their um, path of study very often. So especially if they're like planning to go on to be medical professionals or like researchers, like that's a little um, scary to me (laughs) just because they can't, there's no um, breath to what they're studying. Right. And I think that's something that Berkeley, I believe was the first place here, at least in here in California, if not all of the United States that required um, ethnic studies as part of the curriculum. Right. Um, so, and is that, that you can take anything that's basically something in the ethnic studies category, like African-American studies or Asian-American studies or anything like that? Um, well, we have different colleges. So I like, I'm in LNS, which is, uh, I don't know what it stands for. Life and science, I think. Okay. Um, oops, <laughs> embarrassing. No, but we all have different uh, graduation requirements. So okay. LNS has like um, five breath requirements or whatever, but okay. I don't think any of them are specifically ethnic studies. Like I, I might've chosen to fulfill them with ethnic studies classes, mm-hmm. but I don't think you have to. 
Um, And then colleges like the College of Chem, you don't really have breath requirements. So you have to fill it all. Like you can go through your whole degree at the College of Chem without taking like an ethnic studies class if you wanted to. Mm. So, and actually the ethnic studies department is being like defunded right now. Like we're getting less classes, less teachers. So the worst time for that. I know (laughs) it's terrible. Come on, Berkeley. You got a you got a history, because uh, I remember I I don't and now that you say that I'm not a hundred percent that I that I remember every aspect, but I remember it being a big deal that that Berkeley was requiring something that wasn't being required in in the other UCs, and um and I went to UC Santa Cruz. It certainly wasn't required at the time that, that I was going to school, um and I think Santa Barbara right now is fighting for it to be a requirement. I think there are some folks at Santa Barbara requiring it right now. Um, But yeah, I think we need those extra, like you said, that if you go through your whole major only focusing on what it is you're going to do, you might end up like me. I went to film school. I worked in TV and film for a very small part of my career. Most of what I've done is in tech and, um, and not having given the time, like, I wish I had taken them. I wish I had actually done what I wanted to do and not let my, my mother discourage what I was doing. I wanted to go into civil rights law, but, um, she said we weren't going to be able to afford it. So I ended up doing film school and now I work as HR. So what are you going to (laughs) do? It's completely unrelated, uh, to what I wanted to do. So it's good to have that kind of well-roundedness so that you can find different things that you want to do. Um, we're not quite, we're almost to the end of this. Um, but before, before we get into, into the end of it, uh, what do you hope for to happen in sort of the future of your, your existence, your mixed identity and things like that? What, what do you hope is happening is going to happen? Hmm. I hope I can, uh, connect with my family more. I know I talked to you a little bit about um, like getting the gear started, but, um, I really hope to like make more long lasting connections with my family. Cause I think that that's so valuable and so important in, um, like ensuring that future generations don't feel as lost. Yeah. <laughs> like you have a family behind you. I remember when I was a kid growing up, I was so jealous of all my friends because they like, uh, like had their, what's it called? like direct family, like around them. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also had their grandparents and their great grandparents and their aunts yeah. and their uncles, like in the same town. I was like, that's oh, crazy. You didn't have any of them in the no. same town. Yeah. yeah. I, had, I remember when I, I met my grandfather for the first time, I was like, whoa, <laughs> this is crazy. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I really hope to um, continue that. And, you know, of course it depends on like, unfortunately, political relationships, like mm-hmm. how, um, like how we can get my family to visit us or us to visit them. Right. So, yeah, Especially it's now, kind of like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of uh, fraught with conflict, unfortunately. But honestly, um, this is the thing that I think like in general, monoracial Americans that may not have an immigrant story uh, in their family just do not understand how difficult it is to maneuver these mm-hmm. relationships when not only do you have like an ocean dividing you, you the political climate could dictate whether or not you're even allowed to visit or bring someone over or go to a funeral or go to a wedding or something like that. Like these are major things that impact people like us um, that they don't seem to understand. (laughs) It's amazing. Well, I I hope that for you. I I, I do. Um, But as we get close to the end, I like to ask all of my guests because sometimes, you know, being mixed is tough and and identity and access is, is, is tough for us to come by. In terms of your mixedness, what do you love most about being mixed? 
Um, I think there's a lot of things I love about being mixed, but I think I love um, the connection aspect to it. Like, I love that we have a community that um, is like built on this common thing, but connects Mm -hmm. so many very different people. Like, I think that's so cool. Um, And you get to meet people from all different backgrounds and talk to people from all over the world. So that's, that's really sick. Like I, that's awesome. (laughs) I love that too. It's so wild when someone like you and I, we're not mixed the same, but there's these moments when you're talking to someone that's not mixed like you, but you find this thing, you're like, Oh my God, me too. Like that happens to me too. Mm -hmm. You know? And that's a, that, it, it binds, it binds us together in a way that I think is really beneficial in terms of making major impact and change in, in this world that is psychotic right now, or I guess probably <laughs> always has been, uh, you know, it feels great. I like to refer to all of my, my guests and the people that are in the militantly mixed community as cousins. And I think there's the real feeling behind that is a sense of like, you know, some of us haven't had access to our actual family or our actual cultural upbringings or anything like that. But in, within this community, we can find ways of doing that and, and do that with our cousins uh, in the community. And I think it's great. Yeah, it's so powerful and empowering. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's awesome. Uh, why don't you let everybody know how they can find uh, Mix at Berkeley or you if you want, whatever. Highlight Highlight the things. Yeah, sure. So Mixed at Berkeley, you can find at mixedatberkeley.com. <laughs> we have a website. <laughs> you can also find us at Mixed at Berkeley on Instagram and Facebook. Yeah, that's pretty good. Okay. All right, good. Okay, thank you so much for, for joining. And honestly, like I really appreciate who I've been able to connect with because of the original connection that I had with you. Um, uh, it's 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 been nice to know. Well, first of all, for me, it's been exciting to know that there are finally mixed student unions and and mixed student organizations at university. I absolutely wish those were happening. Um, I wish I also had thought to do it myself back then. You know, um, I didn't. I I participated in the black student unions. I tried to go to the Asian ones and were I mean, it was just even worse because there was hardly ever any Japanese there because Japanese assimilate. And then as a mixed one too, it's just like, what are you doing here? (laughs) I just didn't feel like I had a place. And if I had translated that feeling into activism on my own part at the time, I think that would have, that would have felt like the way militantly mixed feels for me now. So I'm so appreciative that you are doing that um, and that you're creating spaces at your university for the people that are like you also floating around looking for connection to folks. I, I think it's important. I hope you feel the, I hope you understand that there's weight behind it. That is not just like something that you're doing because you're a, a, an activist and in general, um, I, there's a lot of weight to it. I think you're having an impact on people that wouldn't have been able to connect at this stage in their life if not for the work that you're doing. So I appreciate that. And um, yeah, I don't know. Thank you. I'm, I'm just excited. I'm, I love it. I love it so much. I love being able to connect with mixed folks. I love knowing that there's other mixed folks doing work for mixed folks. It just makes me really happy. So I'm appreciative of you. Thank you so much. Yeah. And I'm so appreciative, appreciative of you for <laughs> holding the space for me and other mixed folks to talk about their lives. And, yeah. you know, that's amazing. So thank yeah. you so much. Thank you. Militantly Mix is a main hustle media podcast produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Fury. Music is by David Bogan, the one you can follow us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Militantly Mixed. 
If you'd like to become a sponsor of Militantly Mixed, please go to patreon.com slash militantlymixed for monthly sponsorship or paypal.me slash militantlymixed for a one-time only donation. And if you like what you hear on Militantly Mixed, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to be your mixed-ass self. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.